Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Uh, especially after listening to our discussion last week, and we were talking about their lack of communication and the breakdown. This whole second half of the show, I was just like, felt like yelling at the screen, like, yes, like go communication, <laughs> go signs of affection, go supporting yes. each other's dreams. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking Ship Podcast, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Megan Fitzgerald. And I'm Vika Stubblevine. And we're picking up from where we left off last time with our normal people season. We are covering the second half of their relationship. It's going to get a little bit dark, um, and it's going to continue to be a little sexy. A little. Just a little. <laughs> sexy popsicles. Um, <laughs> I would like two rockets. Yes. <laughs> Last time we talked about the overarching themes of the first half of their relationship was kind of if they fit into each other's lives, him keeping her a secret and if they could work through that and then all of their insecurities getting in the way of their communication. But what I like about the second half of the story is it feels very true to real life with these people where you know that this person should be in your life. They know at this point that they should be in each other's lives. They've proven that time and time again. It's now just a question of how they fit in each other's lives. And we see them you know, figure out if it is intimately, is it as friends? Is it as lovers? Is it as a relationship? So we're picking up this episode from kind of their awkward coffee and going all the way through the end of the story. So I just think so many people have this person where it's not, it's more than you're like, what if person? It's not as quite as simple as falling in love with your best friend. It's a little bit of both. And it's something to me that feels very sacred and very delicate, but also very resilient. So, yeah. you know, it's like, a, there's a lot going on. So we're really going to, we're going to break it down in this episode. Yay. I can't wait. <laughs> but to kick it off, to kind of give us a, uh, a primer on what we're going to be taught, a table of contents, if you will, of what we'll be discussing, we're going to go into relatable content. Content. <laughs> In the second half of the series, you may be in a Marianne and Connell relationship if you're forced to listen to someone you love very much get themselves in terrible romantic situations time and time again. Mm. Oh, all these trash men that we're going to talk about. (laughs) You may be in a Marianne and Connell situation if all of your significant others don't get how you can be friends with your ex. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even really put in that much about Helen in this outline because I think we just, we all know who Helen is and you're like, you're perfectly fine. You did nothing wrong. But I think if you're continuing to like try to get someone you're dating to talk shit about their ex and they won't do it. You know, if it really is still bugging you, maybe get out of there or or there might be a reason why. Or don't be the cool girl and have a real conversation about it. So Yeah. Yes. Basically, yeah, what we're saying on this podcast is never be the cool girl. That's that's solid advice. So overrated. And yet I always want to be the cool girl. <laughs> I just want to be casual. I just want to be no drama. No drama. I'm so chill. I'm really the least chill person you've probably ever met. I'm the most drama. Speaking of, you may be in a Marion and Connell situation if you've never had social circles truly understand you. So having one person that does means so much more to you. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. I can't relate. I have great friends, but some people... 
Oh, it was kind of um, just a good friend alert. And I feel like I should highlight this hilarious moment. But I mm-hmm. told my friend I was doing this and her boyfriend calls this her crying show. Oh my um, God. <laughs> like, oh, you're crying show? Is she doing a mm-hmm. podcast about that? Yeah. <laughs> Similar to the friend theme, I said, uh, you may be in a Marianne and Connell situation when you see your friends through this person's eyes and somehow they just don't quite add up. Like you don't think quite as highly of them anymore. Mm-hmm. Which seems to be a theme for Marianne. Like, you know, first in high school, it's it's Connell that doesn't necessarily have the best, like, kind of friends. They're maybe yeah. not the nicest. But throughout, like, you know, her choice of boyfriends, her choice of friends, like, yeah. there are other people, even Joanna later. Is, in the book, she kind of is like, you know, I just don't think they're that good of people. Yeah. And I think it takes – I didn't mean to be such a brat earlier and be like, my friends are great. But I, I friends do, are great. But they are. But I think, you know, it does take sometimes a second to figure that out, to to navigate who your real friends are. And I like that they didn't just do it with romantic situations with her, but they also did it with friends. Oh, I love that too. That's a really good point. You may be in a Marianne and Connell situation if you've tried and failed to work it out romantically several times. So you decide to be just friends, even though you feel like more. Yep. They're protecting themselves, which I get. I get it. It's like, it's like, listen, this is a lot of drama. So maybe we should just be friends. Uh, You may be in a Marianne and Connell situation if you truly put the other person's needs before your own. I think at the end of this show, even watching it a second time, I didn't cry as much as I did the first time, but the last scene Mm -hmm. where they really, we'll get into it, but where they really put each other first, I'm just like, oh, my heart, this is so wonderful and sweet. And it's so important that they did that. And then my final one is, uh, you may be in a Marion and Connell relationship if in the darkest moments of your life, they're the only person you care about being there. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good theme for this half of the season. (laughs) My last one is you may be in a Marianne and Connell situation if you write really good letters to your sexy pen pal. We're sleeping on emails. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, who who wants to email me? Like, today during the pandemic, I tie-dyed and I thought of you. (laughs) Marianne, I thought of you when I was making my banana bread today. (laughs) I remembered how much you loved bananas. (laughs) Ah, I owe it to the listeners to acknowledge that I said there's no voiceover in this show and when they are writing letters there's voiceover there's voiceover but I do think it was an intentional stylistic choice which Uh we'll get into okay before we get into like the Italian villa scene the showdown if you will there's just like a couple moments from that first episode where uh, they're broken up that I want to address. And the first is very quickly, I totally forgot that the teacher tries to sleep with him. Oh, it's so uncomfortable. It's so cringy. Yeah, poor, I was like, yeah, she's a predator. Yes. Anyways, I, that just shocked me. Um, and then I think it's important to acknowledge because it's such a shift. When they come back to school, they have this conversation at the coffee shop And they're talking like very frankly and very openly about her relationship with Jamie and her sex life with Jamie. And it's just such a shift from their previous lack of communication that it was kind of very shocking. Yeah. Also, first time I think we've seen them like out at a restaurant together. So the setting and everything is just so different. And Connell's late. So he has like 
I don't know. He just has lower status in the scene that I feel like he normally does. But mm-hmm. I feel like it sets up this half of the season and their lives where they communicate so much better. I think it's stark, like you said, stark contrast. They're talking about their sex lives and with other people. Well, mm-hmm. she is mostly, but he is participating in this conversation. He's not having a panic attack. I, I don't say that lightly. I suffer from panic attacks, but I think a lot of times when he- she's been very honest with him, he has a hard mm-hmm. time digesting it. Yes. And I feel like this is one of the first times where he's not comfortable, but he's engaging in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And she highlights, you know, that she's playing a part with Jamie, I think she says. Yes. Where mm-hmm. she's like, you know, it, I didn't have to do that with you. It was just real. And that is so honest. And I just was really impressed that she could share that. Yeah. And it's, you know, I would be confused if I was Connell. Because what does she say? She has, we had. We have mutual, equally involved kind of sex. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know if I was Connell. I would be like, why are you? telling me this and and are we back together (laughs) yeah so much of this time is confusing and I think that's why I want to talk about like this specific episode and Mm -hmm. this confusing thing of like okay well we broke up so you don't want me even though they're both confused about why they broke up but you're going to tell me about your relationship in a way that seems like you don't really like the relationship and now all I'm gonna do is think about you in that relationship you're right in some ways I think that just being friends frees them up to talk better which all we'll talk about a little bit more later because there are parts of the show where I'm very glad that they weren't romantically involved because I think it does allow them to communicate more clearly. Yeah. In some ways, it's so unhealthy because the I want you, I feel like is still clouding everything. I think it's still the subtext of all of these very healthy conversations. It's like, do you still want me? Do I still want you? What's going on here? Maybe it's what's going on here, not I want you. No, I think I think it's a little bit of both. I think that's really, really true. I just feel like it's so specific to these two characters. Like mm. I don't I don't know. Do people discuss their current sex lives with their past partners? Here's what it is non-fictionally. We don't do this as like directly and as, you know, kind of coolly as she does it. We'll drop little hints. Like we'll be like yeah, so-and-so is driving me crazy or like, mm-hmm. um, I would do this, but so-and-so will never let me, you know, just little hints that make us just kind of perk up and be like, why did you make that weird passive aggressive comment about your relationship? Do you want me to read into that? Or are you just venting? Did, yeah. Why did you say it to me? I don't know. As someone who's been on the receiving end of a lot of people venting about their relationships to me, it is sometimes confusing to be like, what, what, what do you want me to do with this information? No, that makes so much sense. I think what's interesting, and now I want to go back and rewatch that scene again, is that if a friend told me about this conversation, I'd be like, well, they're trying to get you back. They don't want to be in their relationship. And that's why they told you that and falls in your court, I guess. But I don't know if that's what she's doing. I think she's sort of like, you don't want to be with me. Like she's decided that's what it is. But he's also her best friend and the person that she shares things with. So Right. right. Maybe she is doing that. And this leads nicely because I do want to talk about the end of this episode, which is after the skulls come out, Connell's won the scholarship, he gets drunk, and he calls Marianne. Only when he's drunk 
Is he able to say, do you love him? I'd literally rather you date anyone else than him. I think he said, I'd rather you date the guy that mugs me than him. And I think this is something that's confusing that happens with people who are in more than friends, but not quite together situations. Mm -hmm. Because if I was her, I would rightfully think you're saying this because you love me. You want to be with me. You're trying to get me to break up with this person. And then when she kind of doesn't budge on it, he's like, by the way, I'm with Helen. Yes, she shouldn't have been with Jamie. And probably even she knew that. But for him to be so flirty and forward with her and then drop that information is like the type of behavior I think that comes up when we do care deeply about someone and we maybe want to be with them, but there are a bunch of obstacles like our own bullshit or the history or the stakes or their relationship that stand up, stand in our way. Yeah. All that to say, I feel like I have had these moments where someone's like, you deserve better, but I'm like, but you can't be with me. You're not available to be at me. So like, what are you doing? Yeah. It's like, you don't want me to be in this relationship that, you know, in this fake scenario, you know, maybe isn't a bad relationship, maybe just needs work. Or maybe you just don't know yet. Maybe it's not the right one. But Mm. having somebody who is unavailable tell you that is really frustrating because you're like, okay, hi, hello. What am I supposed to do with that information? You're negging my relationship. But what? If I break up with them, you're going to break up with your person and we're going to be together? Right. So yeah, I think if you're in this situation, you have to take action because your words clearly aren't doing anything. You have to show (laughs) that you're available and like end the relationship because what they're doing, this like passive aggressive tete-a-tete does not bring them anywhere yeah just leads to more crying in the kitchen (laughs) crying in the kitchen sorry theme song (laughs) that's the musical version of normal people which (laughs) i can't believe there's not we needed another once style we need another irish musical i was gonna say what is um what sarah Bareilles doing yeah what she up to um okay so let's let's talk about the people that they date really we're just talking about the men that she dates and this idea of you know someone you love or deeply care about dating horrible horrible people Mm -hmm. um or just having horrible people in your lives because we spoke on it a little at the beginning but let's start with the friend groups that they both have because at different times both of them express not feeling fully understood by their friends. So how does this affect them as individuals? And then how do we think this affects their relationship? Well, I think that with Marianne going from having no friends in high school to having friends for the first time in college, she's in this circle where everyone really dotes on her. So she's dating this guy, Gareth, right at the beginning, when we mm-hmm. see her in college for the first time, Connell goes mm-hmm. to this party and is thrown by this guy in his class who turns out to be Marion's boyfriend. And we see the world that she's in and, you know, we're seeing it through Connell's eyes. He doesn't feel very welcome there or very comfortable. And you see Marianne in this circle of people and, and she's holding court. Everyone's talking mm-hmm, and she mm-hmm. just really fits in and she's got eyeliner on. And, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's smoking a cigarette, like just really seems to have come into her own. And as we get to know these people, I think it is so college, you know, like people who yes. love to discuss their intellectual ideas, something that I'm sure she didn't get to do before. And she loves Mm -hmm. that. But I also think just loves people liking her. She has not had that before. And I feel like we see her not want to rock the boat. Like she chooses one or two people in that circle who are probably like good lifelong friends. And then Mm -hmm. a lot of them are just pretentious assholes it turns out to be and I think she just seeking out the best people to surround herself with 
Yeah. And it's interesting because Connell says something too of like, you wouldn't understand. They're my friends. So you wouldn't understand. I think they Mm -hmm. both repeat that to each other. Yeah. It's interesting because I think sometimes if you took their friend groups out of the equation, both in high school and in college, they probably would have gotten together quicker in a much less complicated way. Um, But that's just not real life. You know, our friends, our social settings like do make up our life. So it is important to figure out how someone, a romantic partner fits into that. Yeah. I think so many people deal with that. Like the last time I was dating someone seriously, I was really nervous to introduce them to my friends. Yeah. I wanted them to like them and I wanted him to fit in. And I, you know, I just wanted it to go really well and I put it off for a while. Yeah. Yeah. As you should, I think that's how it should feel. I think it, everyone is different and everyone has different luck and different settings that, you know, have built out their social circles. But for me, I am the same as you where I have never seen a relationship as an outlet or an escape from my social settings. For me, it's always been what you're saying. Do you fit into the relationships I already have set up because they are so important to me? But with them, truly until I think we see in the last episode, they're not fully surrounded by people who love them and respect them and appreciate them. And I think that's partially why their relationship means so much to each other because in this, you know, room of people that don't understand them, they're the only one who does. So while I don't necessarily think that's totally healthy, I do think it's very romantic. I see why they cling so hard to each other in a moment that I love, you know, just from a relationship aspect, but also just, I think it's very good storytelling. Um, There's this moment in the Italian villa episode where they're at the table and there's all this crosstalk happening, but they highlight the audio of Marion and Connell's conversation as they have this like intimate, flirty conversation about art. And I think there's something really beautiful about someone who makes you able to tune out all of the noise. And Mm. especially in this moment at that table being like a shit show of a dinner with al dente, undercooked pasta and Spanish strawberries, (laughs) that, that they can have this moment with each other where they're like, everything's okay. Everything's normal when I am talking to you. So thank God they find the right friends. But I think this is a big part of the reason they're so incredibly important to each other because they have always been able to cut through the bullshit of their social circles when their social circles have sucked. Yeah. I think that um, just to add on to that a little bit, they really see each other. And I think mm-hmm. for us, as we're descri- describing our friends and wanting someone to fit in, it's because we're so lucky that we feel seen by multiple people. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't worry that my friends don't get me for who I am. And so I think it makes it a little bit easier to make romantic decisions because yeah. I'm not like, oh, I only have this one person. Yes. Yeah. 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 And maybe that's, well, this, now we're going to start to talk about the people that she dates and maybe that's part of the stakes of it is like, you know, I, I am lucky in that I never feel like, well, if I break up with this person, then I won't have anyone because I Mm -hmm. have strong friendships, but she doesn't have that luxury. So it seems. So she, I think that's part of the reason she makes such awful romantic decisions. Um, yeah. So we'll kind of go through them. I mean, the first guy, Gareth, I, 
I feel like what this is, is him. I think he just kind of uses her as like an accessory because he's described as like a campus celebrity and involved in so much stuff. And there's this scene where she's trying to work, like trying to get work done for school. And he's like trying to vent to her about all of what he's got going on. And he's like, you're so cute when you concentrate or something. And she's not a bag. She's not, I don't know what this guy would have a messenger bag, but she's not a leather messenger bag. She is like a full human. And he just sees her as the like perfect thing to have on his arm as he goes about his campus celebrity debates or whatever he does. Oh, you're so right. I mean, he is all about presentation. Like Mm -hmm. he unbuttons his top three buttons on his shirt. I feel like he has these opinions that he thinks sound good. Something that's cool about the show and the book is that like you touched on last episode, there's a a socioeconomic difference between Marianne and Connell that is like weaved throughout the story. Trinity has a lot of people who are wealthy. And I, I think Gareth is this example of somebody who has like come up with opinions that like haven't really been tested. So Uh there's this scene where they're talking about bringing an actual Nazi supporter, someone who believes he's a Nazi to the campus because of free speech. And Gareth and Connell have this conversation and Connell's like, well, what do we need to hear from him? Like, we know his beliefs. Like, what are, why are we offering him this debate stage? And Gareth like doesn't go below the surface of this one opinion of like, well, it's free speech. Like he doesn't enga- engage further with his brain or with other people. And and I find that like, you know, their relationship is doomed because he can't see beyond the nose on his face. You know, it's just like, I have this opinion and that's it. The end. And then I think what's really interesting when she breaks up with him, he's like, you're a completely different person right now because she's having an opinion. <laughs> she's standing up for herself. So we're going to talk about Jamie and then we might have to like double back a little bit because I'm sure he'll come up a lot. But so Jamie is the one she dates when they're in Italy and but he's been her friend for a long time. And it's so obvious that he wants her for a long time, even when she's with Connell. And this isn't, you know, um, a psychoanalyzed problematic men podcast. But (laughs) if anyone listening has that podcast, please, I'd love to come on. But to me, it feels like him taking out his extremely fragile male ego on someone he thinks he can dominate. And we see this really early on where even when they're before they're together, he says something like, I think Marianne is just a nice girl. Of course he wants her to be nice because if she's anything else, she's harder to take power over. And, you know, and then we see it sexually, which we'll get into later. And uh, then we see it in Italy in the way he like berates her and practically abuses her when they're in Italy together. Jamie is a small person and I hate him. Um, He's a small, petty little man. He's a small, small man. I had such a hard time with him. I had a hard time with her being friends with him because I think anyone who puts you on a pedestal like that, like I think I have a a slightly different take on when they're friends. Yeah, I I never thought about the whole like Marianne is a nice person. I think you're you're so right on that. But while I was watching that, I was like, he's just a little weasel. He idolizes her. I think it's a good example of like what happens when you get someone on a person to person level who you've had on a pedestal for so long. No one can live up to that, you know? Yeah. And he treats her like crap when he actually gets her. It's just like when someone treats you like a queen angel, but then is awful when they get you, it's the worst freaking surprise. They worked so hard to win her over. And now he's like, 
you're a piece of crap and I'm going to just kick you and kick you and kick you while you're down. Yeah. And again, I, I, I don't feel like feel like I fully understand the psychoanalysis of this, but I feel like this is a man that exists very much in our non-fictional world. We could spend a long time on uh, analyzing Jamie and people like Jamie. But then let's talk about Lucas, which is the guy she dates in Sweden, because I think it's similar in that maybe, and again, I'm not um, psychologist, I think maybe there's something of like, once you get permission, even if it is not explicit permission to treat somebody like crap, some people will take that to their advantage and ride that train until they get a no. And I think that's a little bit what happens with Lucas and a lot of their relationship, I think has to do with what's going on with her and how she feels numb and she wants to feel something. And so she asks him, you know, to treat her terribly. um, And she asks for some of the BDSM stuff we see, but even the first time we see him before any of that, he's like, I think you want a drink. It's a little bit still telling her what she wants. I don't know. I think it's one thing to be like on board with someone's sexual kink and and we'll talk more about that later but it's another to exploit that part of them and exploit your sexual life for your own artistic gain like when he starts taking photos of her and then he like refuses to respect the boundaries of yeah what she wants and when she says stop he doesn't and i think that's letting that power or what he sees as complicit permission which it's not you know just it takes it takes over This relationship was the most confusing to me of the show, I think, because it's really hard to know where each of these things is coming from. And I think that's what makes it so compelling to watch. What I took from it is that Marianne's going through a depression. She says she feels numb. She tells Lucas that she wants the exact opposite of someone telling her that she's beautiful or Mm -hmm. so he gives her a compliment and she's like, don't do that. And I think it is playing into her self-loathing and it kind of feels to me like Jamie treated her horribly and Connell, who made her feel good, is in this other relationship. And so maybe that she feels she doesn't deserve to be treated well or wants an outlet for the pain that she's feeling inside. Mm -hmm. But I think we know from other books and just culture that like there is a healthy way to do BDSM and like Mm -hmm. have this role play kind of thing going on. But I don't think we see a healthy version of it playing out at all. And it's this guy who like initially – just wanted to pay her compliments gets really into it but I don't think he's experienced with it he seems to have like bought some props online yeah and that's why he's at fault because it's not like you asked me to do this and let's figure out the most healthy way to do this he like lets it take over their whole relationship not just their sexual relationship yeah and I think it's weird to me that he looks at her when like she doesn't smile she doesn't seem she's really present and I know that he didn't know her before this and maybe he mm-hmm. just thinks that's what she's like but it was really sad to me like I know people are sometimes attracted to someone that they want to like quote-unquote fix right but, but I feel like she's just not all there and not sharing much of herself with him. So I'm like, what is she just another, like a prop to you? Yeah. How do you not see that? Yeah. So why do we think she 
it's not that she falls for people like this because she's, I don't think she has real feelings for any of them, but why does she end up in these situations where she dates people like this? Well, we know that there's a history of abuse in her family. Mm-hmm. Her father abused her mother and her brother is violent and her mom doesn't do all that much when he is verbally or physically abusive to her. So I do think that what I know about abuse is like it's cyclical. And if you've been treated that way, sometimes it's like it can happen again. Like Mm -hmm. when you're seeking out relationships, because that's like the model that you've seen in your life. And like Megan said, I'm not a psychologist. This is all like, so if you can add to the comments on Instagram, if like, you know about this, because I would love to know more about this, but yeah, I think at least in the book, we see this pattern of like some violence and not being treated well that reoccurs in Marianne's life. Yeah, absolutely. To bring it into like our non-fictional lives, even if you're someone who hasn't suffered from abuse, I think sometimes, and this is, we spoke to this a bit last episode, I think it's about trying to fit a certain role that she thinks makes her lovable. And I think that can be sweet or doting. Um, She makes a lot of meals, which, you know, maybe Marianne loves to cook, but... (laughs) Like there's something that feels icky about when she's cooking for him in Italy. And I think it's because Jamie's not helping at all. And then yells at her about getting the cream and the fucking coupe Ugh. glasses. The coupe glasses. This bugged me so much because <laughs> Jamie is a kid or a, a young adult who clearly comes from money. Yeah. I'm like, you should know what a freaking coupe is. Like, there are these beautiful uh, shallow glasses for champagne. We used to serve that uh, at a restaurant that I worked in, and I thought they were so classy. He's like, these are gravy boats. And I'm like, shut up. Just shut up. Are you helping? Are you doing anything? You're ruining the conversation. Nobody wants you here. Yes. And what you would know, Jamie, if you watched Emily in Paris, is that I believe (laughs) they're modeled after Marie Antoinette's breasts. So they're actually sexy. So (laughs) where was I? Um, You know, I think being sweet, you know, as he calls her sweet, these boys call her sweet or nice. And then she's a little bit doting. I think that can lead into being passive. And I think that we see people in relationships do this all the time. And I'd argue this is what she's doing in her friendships too, because she doesn't want to rock the boat. She doesn't want to be too opinionated or quote difficult because in high school, when she was difficult and opinionated, she didn't have friends. So I think she does all these things to make herself easier to love. And probably all that comes stems from abuse. But I think we see this, we see people do this. Regardless Whether or not, background. yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. For whatever reason, this passiveness and like the way that she is to try to make herself easier to love, like she does it a little bit with Connell. I was going to say that she doesn't, mm. but she does. I think yeah. it's different with Connell, or maybe I just want it to be different with Connell. I know. I think she does do it with Connell, and Sally Rooney is on the record of saying something about like towards the end of the. Sh- uh, story Connell realizes that he has been the dominant one the whole time and that's why he says no in the bedroom which we will Mm -hmm. talk about in a few minutes because he realizes he has had the control and and so I think I think she does do that for him too um what do we think Connell's role is in her life through all of this and I guess how do we non-fictionally support and protect that person when they date other people 
What I think he does well is um, he remains this very like steadfast friend. And in Italy, they bring up the fact, as we mentioned earlier, that they've been exchanging emails. And this is what I wanted to say about the the voiceover in Sweden. They play a lot of their email exchanges as a voiceover. And I think it is intentional kind of shift because they haven't done voiceovers this whole show to show that they're kind of like the voice in each other's heads. Like even as she's going about her snowy turtlenecked life in Sweden, like he's the one she's thinking about even when she is with these other people. I think in the same way where I was earlier, I was like, you, you know, if you break up with someone and you don't like the person with their with, like you, that's not your job anymore. Like that's not, you don't have a right to give your opinion on who they're dating because you gave up the relationship. And I do believe that. So I think that the best thing that he can do is like, until you know, someone is violent or harmful, you do have to take a backseat and fuck off a little bit and let them make their choices Mm -hmm. because you don't have a right to be involved, especially as an ex lover. All you can do is like make your presence known and your care known and available to them when they need it. And I think he does do a good job at being like, present and there but he doesn't push anything he doesn't insinuate anything he just like makes sure she knows he's there and I feel like that's part of the reason you know he she has his voice running through her head all the time I think what you just said like I want it louder for the people in the back it was just <laughs> a lesson that I have had to learn sometimes with friends too you just don't like who they're dating and mm-hmm. it may be a personality thing like I needed to learn, and so I'm going to say this for anybody else who needs to learn it. You don't have to be obsessed with everybody your friend is dating. Like They mm-hmm. are the one who's in the relationship, and they are the one who's in love, and their significant other, it's amazing if they are your, become your friend, but it also, it's not about you. Like I yeah. needed to learn it wasn't about me. And le- like you said, unless somebody is abusive and you know about it, like it's really not your place to say anything, and I have... Mm-hmm made that mistake in the past where I'm like, well, I just don't love this person for you. Mm-hmm. And to be on the receiving end of that must feel horrible. You right. know, like, oh, one of my best friends doesn't like the person I'm in love with. And obviously Marianne is not in the most healthy relationships. Yeah. And in she's not in show. love. Yeah. And she's not in love. But I think to translate to our real lives, our non-fictional lives, I just think it's an important lesson and something I had to learn because I've had such a strong, great group of friends. I felt like I could assert my opinion. And honestly, Mm -hmm. it's not welcome. It doesn't, it's not needed. I didn't need to share that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I think his like, make sure he's not a psychopath is like as close as you can get to being like, I'm concerned because you pick terrible people for you. But I also know it's not my place. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to make myself very emotionally available to you so that when, if and when you do need to turn some, to somebody, you know that I'm here. And I think that's the best thing you can do romantically and for your friends. He handles it so, so well. I was like taking notes from Connell. Who would have thunk? Yeah, I think he helps remind her and helps her maintain her sense of self. The part of storytelling in this episode that I was so blown away by was she presumably has just read his letter. It's like been his email. It's been the voiceover as she's mm-hmm. walking to the studio where Lucas wants to take her photo mm-hmm. and it's in her head. And he says a couple of things that I think just like really 
remind her maybe of who she wants to be, the person that she is, of how she felt when she was with him. And it's like through the photo shoot, as she seems to be thinking about this email she just got, that she makes a change. And mm-hmm. she's like, I don't want this. And she communicates with Lucas. Yeah. He, he's confused because she hasn't expressed any of this before. But I felt like, oh, thank God, Marianne, like you yeah. are taking ownership of your life. Yeah, I agree. So then, you know, I know in the next episode, these back-to-back episodes, we see Marianne dealing with her depression. And then I think in the next episode is Connell going through his depression after his friend commits suicide. Um, So what do we think of the way that Marianne is there for Connell? And can we use that as any sort of model of how we support a friend when they're um, struggling through any kind of mental health um, problem? Yeah. Also, gee, thanks, Hulu, for these two back-to-back, like, doozies (laughs) of episodes. Yeah. This is why it's the crying show. It's the crying show. So I think... Marianne and Connell are both really there for each other when they're going through these things. And I think that's what makes them such an amazing relationship. They really show up for each other. Like you said this, I think, in your relatable content, but in their darkest moments, like they reach out to each other. And like, Mm -hmm. although they haven't always had the best communication throughout the show, I feel like when it matters, they do. What what do you? I mean, I think they handled it really well. No, what, I think so. I think so too. And I think that that's it's a huge part of you know why why I ship them is is this time. One gesture that I specifically love is Marianne staying up all night on Skype with him. Oh yeah. Oh, so good because even I think you know it's just with people I know who have gone through mental health stuff. It's like or sometimes we don't need someone to say anything to make us feel better. We just need to know that we're not alone. So I think making her presence known throughout the night is so comforting and beautiful. And I think what's great about this time that they're apart is they do this beautiful job at being there for each other without expectations. And I think that's an important thing when you're showing up with the, for a friend that's going through anything. What do we feel about the fact that they weren't a couple through all of this? They weren't romantically linked. Okay, so even though like woof those two episodes are very um dark and like the both characters are going through a lot Mm -hmm. this whole second half of the show uh, especially after listening to our discussion last week and we were Mm -hmm. talking about their lack of communication and the breakdown this whole second half of the show i was just like felt like yelling at the screen like yes like go communication (laughs) go signs of affection go supporting each other's dreams them not being a couple, I think, gave them the space to uh, take their own insecurities out of it. You know, they're like, well, mm-hmm. we're I'm not worried about losing this person because they're my friend and and I trust that they're going to be my friend for life. There's this pressure taken off. And so they communicate so much better. And it's just like full, complete sentences that are accurate <laughs> to how they're feeling. And I was just blown away. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I, you said that perfectly. I have very little to add because I just, I think when you're in a romantic relationship before you have the foundation of friendship, Mm -hmm. especially when you're so young and you already like don't really know how to be happy in a solid friendship, you don't know how to be honest and frank. And uh, I think you're exactly right. I think, thank God that they weren't a couple during this time, because I think otherwise their insecurities would have 
played into the way that they communicate and they don't. And so they have such a more solid platonic relationship, I think, without which they never could have gotten back together. Mm, Yeah, agreed. But obviously, eventually, they do make their way romantically back into each other's lives. How can we tell for Marion and Connell specifically? But then how can we tell in general if someone who is your kind of person, this person who has this powerful presence in our life, who you maybe want to be your person, how can we tell if they actually should be? No. So to be very succinct, I think it's like when that is the person who you communicate best with and when it Mm -hmm. seems to be a mutual thing of putting effort into the relationship, be it friendship or otherwise. In my personal life, I think not necessarily like relationships, but I have had these big, huge, fantastical like crushes on people where I'm like, wow, they're my person. Mm -hmm. But it's one-sided. And I have learned over time that for it to actually be the person that I should be with, it's got to be mutual. Like I can't just pretend that them acknowledging something I said was funny is like them communicating in a way that means we're supposed to be together, you know? Oh, well, I, yeah, you're speaking to the true artist of um, being able to weave uh, weave my own romantic uh, fairy tales based off very small comments, but I agree. Um, but I think with them, there's a few things that happen while they're like not together together. I think someone is your person when they know how to show up for you and also like when to show up for you when you need it most. And I think the duel showing up at the funerals, like Connell shows up at her father's anniversary mass. And then she shows up at his friend's funeral after months and months of not seeing her. And they have this hug and they hug for far too long. Like Helen literally has to like pry him off of her. And I think it's this moment of this like relief of this is the exact person I wanted to see in this moment. And maybe even this is the only person I needed to see in this moment. And also I think someone might be your person if seeing them kind of, I feel like it's this like breath of fresh air when you finally get to connect with the person you want to see most in the world. And I think that applies like romantically and platonically with our friends too. Like in the Italy episode, there's this moment where they're like riding bikes into town after, you know, she spent all summer with Jamie and she's so free and so light and goofy and there, it really feels like it's breathing again. And I mean, if you're spending a whole summer in an Italian villa with your boyfriend, but this one individual person comes to visit and that's the most like seen and light and joyous you've felt all summer, that's probably a good sign that like that's your person, not the boyfriend that you're with. Yep. I'm just going to wait to ride bikes with my um, my person. <laughs> I can't wait to ride bikes in the Italian villa with my person. Um, okay. But then, so now let's talk about what actually does get them back together because now there's been all this build up there. They've become friends again. He, he's broken up with Helen. They're seeing each other every weekend. What do we feel like actually gets them back together? Cause for me, it's like this, the very long, like could be a little, you know, 15 minute play, very long scene of them, um, sexy in the bedroom with the popsicles And then there's the thing with her brother. How do those two moments clarify for us, for us and for them, that they should be together and they will be okay? So I think they ask each other questions around this topic that get them 
to a place of like, okay, we both want this. Mm-hmm. You know, they Marianne says something about how like, you know, you don't have to come home every weekend for me. Like I'm okay. And he's like, well, it's the only thing I have to look forward to. And I think that that clarifies for her, like, okay, he wants to be here too. It's not just one-sided. And these kinds of like comments, they they like lead to this bedroom scene, I think. Like they they go out clubbing and they have another classic Connell and Marianne miscommunication where he like needs to go outside for a second and she thinks that he's leaving her on the dance floor. They have some sort of misunderstanding about what's happening there. And then they're watching the the match the next day. And uh, they're both kind of sullen and it keeps flashing back to the scene. And eventually they talk about it and she's like, this is what it felt like when you left me there. Yes. Which is key. This is what, how you made me feel when you did this thing. Mm -hmm. And, and like gives him the opportunity to say like, Oh, well, this is what I was trying to do. And I didn't at all intend for you to feel that way. But if she had never said that it made her feel that way, he would never know. And he wouldn't know why she's being quiet. And they both tend to think that they've done something wrong. So this was just like, for me, the way that they have grown and changed so much is that with little incident that they could have read so much into, they were able to talk about it and figure it out and be like, so I really wanted you to kiss me. And he's like, I really wanted to kiss you. And then Mm -hmm. they have even further amazing communication where he's like, I'm worried if we do this because we've messed it up every other time. And I think what I read on Marianne's face was like, crap, like he doesn't, he doesn't want to risk it. And I do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's this famous line where, Okay, so I think it's famous in, in I, the I world agree. of normal people. It's going to be the title of the episode. <laughs> okay, good. So Connell says something. He says to her, I think it's pretty obvious that I don't want you to go. Well, even just what I think is even more impressive, he says, I think he's like, I'm feeling pretty anxious. I think yes. it's pretty obvious that I don't want you to go. And I was like, oh my God, the communication. Just verbalizing their in- stuff that has been so interior before was... yes. Uh, to borrow what you said earlier about what it feels like to be with your person and felt like such a breath of fresh air as an audience mm-hmm. member to be like, oh my God, great. Yes. <laughs> You're talking. Yes. Um, so he says, I'm feeling anxious. I think it's pretty obvious that I want you to stay. And she just says, I don't find it obvious what you want. Mm-hmm. And that's the line that like really sticks with me of, you know, this has been their thing the whole time. They don't find each other obvious. They they yeah. love and care about each other, but they're not always clear on what the other person actually wants. So this just sealed the deal for me. Yeah, I fully agree. You know, just to bring it into our non-fictional life, this happens a lot where there's someone that would be so high stakes to get together with them because of your friendship, because of your history. I think when you have like months or years of conflicting information and complication about what this relationship means and what they want and where they're at and who they have feelings for. And if it's for you, I think your insecurity can talk you out of anything, especially when it comes to the most vulnerable matters of the heart. Watching and rewatching this scene, it is hard because nothing is super obvious until he says the obvious thing, which is I don't want you to leave. So I just think we can all learn from be, say the obvious thing. Be like, what I love is that it, it, he expresses how it makes him feel too. Like I'm feeling this way, 
this is what I want. And I think that is the perfect combo. Here's how I feel. And this is what I want to make it happen. It's not easy, but they do it. And it's awesome. It's a lesson to all of us. Like, don't leave the room, walk home and be like, God, I I should have replayed the conversation the way that you wish it on, you know? Yes. Don't walk across a lawn all moody (laughs) unless you've said exactly what you wanted to say. Yes. Okay. So then we have the moment. So they do have sex. And here's where we have the moment that is controversial for a lot of normal people fans. The sex positive nature of it is questioned. And that is she asks him to hurt her. He doesn't want to do it. So let's kind of unpack this. And like, what do we think it means? I think that he wants he he loves her you know he wants to take care of her and protect her and i think that it's it's like meeting someone halfway where the, you know meeting someone where they are where it's like mm-hmm. okay maybe you want to explore more in the bedroom or maybe you want to have more talks about kafka you know like whatever it is you know yeah, you want to yeah, yeah. and and being like okay you want this let me try but then he has this moment where he's like i don't think i can do that and completely taking out of the equation what's going on with Marianne it's he's communicating well in the moment of Mm -hmm. like okay you know what I actually I don't want to go there and I can't do that and I'm not going to just do it because you want it and then he's really upset about it like he they cry they have weird communication they don't know what's going on and for lack of anything else I think it was super accurate in terms of how they communicate, especially in the moment, like they're having sex and, yeah. you know, it's, they haven't had sex with each other in, in a long time. Yeah. Years. And so I think that there's just a lot of pressure on the moment and yes. he doesn't want to mess it up and he doesn't want things to be weird going forward. And so there's just a whole lot at play. I think you're right. Um, and again, like neither of us are pretending to talk about sadism or BDSM or kinks with any professional qualifications. But because this is like a big kind of controversy around normal people, I, I did do some research. And to your point, I am like obsessed with this sexologist and intimacy expert named um, Shan Boudram. And I think what she would say is that if you want to introduce something new into the bedroom, that is like a conversation to have earlier, not a conversation to have while you're in the middle of sex. Because if you want to do something, it's something that you have either experience with or have read about or have watched porn about or been thinking about for a long time. And so you've had time with it and it's a new concept for your partner. So to mm-hmm. then spring it on them while having sex, they're not going to be as open to it. And if you want them to open up to it, you have to give them time or articles or maybe like baby steps to work up to something that is so foreign to someone such as working with pain. That's really good advice. Yeah, no, and it makes a lot of sense. And you know, I I know that the like sexologists would argue that there's a lot of parts of normal people's story that don't portray BDSM in a healthy or accurate way. And people who enjoy this and participating in it willing, willingly um, go into what they call the scene, performing BDSM during sex with boundaries and safe words. And oftentimes they like talk about it afterwards to check that everyone else is okay. And so I get that people are frustrated that they don't portray this with Jamie and Lucas well. And a lot of sex experts say that like, yes, people who suffer from abuse do engage in pain and want pain during sex because it does help them work through this part of their life and take ownership of it in a different way. And 
And yeah, and it can be done in a healthy way. I I think here we're led to believe that it she doesn't want it in a healthy way, or that it's it's stemmed from her not working through her self worth. Yeah, the storytelling seems to suggest that to me as a viewer. Yes. And and when we were like as you were talking about this, I'm like, wow, that's so interesting. And I think like sounds really healthy and all of that communicate. Like I never think communication can be overkill. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that the lack of communication or at least the lack of communication that we see as an audience is what makes it feel like maybe it's not a good thing for her in this moment. And like mm-hmm. maybe one day she and Connell will be totally healthy BDSM sexual partners, but like yes. they need to have a lot of communication about it for it to work for both of them. Is sort of what I'm getting. I agree. And because it could be that she actually does like it and it doesn't come out of her wanting to be passive or something that she deserves. It could be that this is something she like genuinely likes. Um, But I agree. I think think the storytelling leads us to believe that she doesn't actually like it because of the way that she says, you know, with sex with Jamie feels like she's like putting on an act or going through the motions. And she and Connell had, what was it again? Mutually. (laughs) Mutually. Mutually equally involved kind of sex. Yes. So the fact that that's the sex that she like holds on a pedestal, I think Sally Rooney's point of view is that she doesn't really want this. And if that's the case, like if that is what we're supposed to understand from the storytelling, I think she might do it because she feels like she won't lose someone in a relationship if they can dominate her because they have the power. And that I will say, I think she does do that with Connell. In a myriad of ways. Yeah. In a myriad of ways. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, I want to go read some of the think pieces that you mentioned came up because I, I would love an act to read it like an expert's opinion on it. And, and I think, that like what we're ta- we're just reg- audience members who don't have an experience or I don't have an experience with this kind of thing and so uh, everything that I'm taking from the show which is probably why people take issue with how it's portrayed is like there is a healthy way to do this and that's not shown in the show it's just shown as like sort of bad or at least that's how I interpreted it yeah yeah and I think that was some people who are like kink experts and BDSM experts is that they're like, you are giving people an incorrect view of like what it means to be into it because it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that you're damaged because you're into it. And I think she does kind of use the device of pain during sex as a sign that she is damaged. And for that reason, like I do understand people feeling like it's kink shaming and, and all of that. I do, I do get that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. The only thing I would add is that for Marianne and Connell, I think their sex life is the thing that's always worked. Like they've always communicated well and like understood each other physically, or at least that's how it comes across in the storytelling. And this is a moment of disconnect in that part of their lives that they've never really had before. And I think it's just really realistic. Yeah. Oh, it's totally realistic. And and they both freak out about it. She feels silly or stupid for asking for it. He knows he didn't handle it the right way and he feels guilty. And then, so let's talk about this moment with her brother, because that is what drives him to literally drive to her house and be like, I love you. I want you. Part of me thinks like without that, they maybe wouldn't have worked through it as well. This is the one part, like, I don't love that. It's this kind of like act of heroism of him coming to like save the day and save her from her brother that like seals the deal. 
But I think, I don't know, maybe it's like the risk of like losing her or like she could have really gotten hurt. That clarifies for him. I need to put my bullshit aside, even if I'm feeling insecure right now, even if I'm feeling anxious right now. She is the most important thing to me and I'm going to make sure that she is safe and I'm going to make sure that she knows that. And I think that that's realistic too, of like when you come so close to losing some somebody or something bad happening to somebody, it clarifies all of your feelings. Yeah. It's just so fitting that it happens right after they have this level of like, oh no, did we just mess that up? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and this happens later that night and he still shows up for her and she reaches out. Like she has always tried to handle this stuff by herself. Yes, uh, that's true. Yeah. I think that shows a lot of growth too. Speaking of growth, let's talk about now they're back together. They're in, I don't really understand the timeline of, of college and what year they're in in Trinity, but it seems like it's their last year. Um, so let's talk about, you know, all of the improvements in version. I think now we could call it 3.0 or maybe even 4.0 <laughs> of their romantic relationship and always nah. in that it's better and that it, we think that, that it works. I think that we eventually know that because they are able to live independent lives. Like we Mm -hmm. see Connell working more on the literary magazine and Marianne seems to have more security in their relationship. Like honestly, all of it, like when they're friends and when they're dating, when they get back together, like I think that they make an effort to leave less gray space. No, they make an effort to be clearer with each other. I think they both are much better at expressing themselves. And the quintessential moment of seeing this relationship and how it's grown and like changed for the better is when she goes home with him for the holidays and it's sweet and they're with Lorraine and there's this like very poignant moment and it's just like maybe poignance that were wrong word, but it was kind of sad where they run into her mom on the street and it's like, she passes them and she walks with, and Marianne walks away with uh, Connell and Lorraine. And, you know, her, she's always going to have a really complicated relationship with her family, but I, I love the symbolism of her, like choosing to walk with people who love her mm-hmm. and care about her. Okay. That was tangential. <laughs> so no, what no. I was going to say is the <laughs> moment that I loved so much was when she's home for the holidays with Connell and it's New Year's Eve and they go to the pub and all of the high school people are there. And there's this moment where he lets go of her hand to say hello to everybody. And you can just see that she's like, oh my God, is this going to be exactly the way it used to be? And she goes and says hello to the ladies. He comes back and gets her and puts his arms around her and they go over to the bar and then he kisses her at midnight in front of everybody. And it was just so nice to see that full circle moment. Yeah, because that's he learned exactly what she needed and what she needed was to feel secure. And that shows the growth in communication, the growth of them as individuals. And that's what I love about this relationship. Their relationship has grown and they have both grown. They're not, they don't have to stay in their little secret world anymore. And that's what I love about this story as opposed to honestly, a lot of other couples from TV is that yes, they still do have this very special connection, but they're not all each other has anymore. 
she in this you know new version of the relationship she has joanna she has these other friends but she also has these hobbies she's a swimmer and he works for the literary magazine and has other friends and that's sustainable that is kind of like the dream situation like i know not longer need you to sustain my happiness but it is so nice that in a crowded room i can make eye contact with you and know that i am fully safe and seen and understood because you're here and i love that so much. And I think it's so important. And this is going to transition us into the kind of the final question I want to ask you is, I think it's so important that she doesn't go to New York, that she's like, no, I want to stay here. I like the life I'm living here. And that shows so much growth on her, on her part. Um, So yeah, this final moment, they are talking about grad school. And, you know, as you said earlier, they like learn to want the best for each other. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. No. That's true. I mean, you'd be somewhere else entirely. You'd be a different person. And me too. But we have done so much good for one another. I'm never going to feel the same way for anyone else. I know. (sighs) (sighs) I'll go. Yeah, and I think it's a big thing for Marianne not to give him what he wants at the end. And she has always wanted to give him what he wants. Like, she's told him that so many times. And this, in the end, she wants what's best for him. And so she's not going to give him the thing that he wants right now because she knows she loves him and knows that it's, like, not the right move. And also is prioritizing what she wants while doing what's best for their relationship. Mm-hmm. I agree. So what do we think? This ending is left kind of ambiguous of if they make it, if they stay together, probably, you know, very intentionally um, to drive us crazy. But what <laughs> do, what do we think? What do you think? Do we think that they make it? So I think there is a world where they go and live their separate lives and they come back together and they end up married and like super happy. But I think what I get from this ending is that even if that doesn't happen, they will still have fulfilled, happy, rich lives and will likely be in each other's world. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's the most cliche to say that I hope that they end up together, but I feel like the way that they've ended this, if they end up together, it's healthy. It's because they've left space for for themselves as individuals. Yeah, I agree. And I I think what we do know 
is that no matter what, as individuals, they're going to be okay. But because they've proven that no matter what happens, they will take care of each other, whether they're in each other's lives intimately or from a distance. They know that somewhere in the world, they have someone who sees them and supports them for exactly who they are. Do they make it as a couple? I I get the sense that they separate while he goes to New York. And yeah, you know, obviously, like, I would love to believe that they end up together because <laughs> I'm, you know, a girl who has a podcast about romantic relationships. <laughs> And what I think we forget is like a little bit, they are still so young. They've got to be like 22, 23. So it is like still very young for them to just end up together. So I like the idea that they take, uh, they take some space, but, and I, here's my argument for like why I do see them weaving their way back into each other's lives romantically is that they've proven that even when they are with other people, they're still the most important person in each other's lives. And I think it would be hard to imagine them with anyone else, especially because now they've proven they can be together in a healthy way. Yeah, I really can't picture them dating anybody else. Like I was going to say initially that I thought it would be good for Marianne to date somebody who's not who doesn't suck. Yeah. Yeah, No, I think maybe I, what I, here's what I hope. I hope Marianne goes through a Helen relationship and learns that like, she can be in a healthy relationship with someone that's not Connell. And still, despite it all, Connell is the person she wants to be with. Ugh, yes. There's a quote in the last scene of the show that I think sums up what you just said, like this exchange between them where the thing that he always says to her throughout the show is, you know, I love you. Mm-hmm. And she never really, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think she ever really responds when he says that. Correct. I think you're right. And he says, I'm never going to feel the same way about anyone else. And then she says, I know. And and then she says, and I'll stay here and I'll be okay. And like, I'm crying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, and I think that's what it's beautiful. And this is why, you know, we're going to end this conversation with like, do you ship it? And I think that's like a big reason of why I ship it is that like, he learns that that's what she needs to hear. She needs to know that she is safe and secure and loved. And that in her, I know is that, is that she hears it. But I, I just think they're a great example of having the chemistry and the connection with someone and then learning through trial and error and self and examination and therapy to what to do with this chemistry and connection that works best for the other person. Yeah, no, I completely ship it. I think the fact that they're able to grow and learn together and be there for each other as just another human being that they care about regardless of relationship or friendship. They just, they put in the work, you know, they put in the work and there's real unconditional love there, which is so special. Yeah. And yeah, I think this show, like, obviously I'd love us all to be fully realized individuals before we fall in love, but that's (laughs) not realistic. And I think this show's because they're so young, it shows us how malleable we are bef- during this time while we're figuring ourselves out and we see how people influence us. And this goes back to the quote you brought up at the beginning of our little season. But I think if you find someone in the midst of working on yourself, I hope it would be someone like a Marianne and a Connell who sees you for your best self and helps you bring that out. And then what I think they learn is to be a couple that doesn't cling to this special secret connection as the only defining thing about their relationship. 
Um, they want you to bloom into your full potential and trusts that the relationship will succeed even when you're not like a naked eating popsicle. So, <laughs> so I think for that reason, yeah. So yeah, I, I ship it. I ship it. And I believe, I believe in them, whether they end up together or not. Same, same. Uh, well, Fika, that's, that's it. That's what we've got for y'all this, this season. Thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. Do you have anything that you want to um, promote or plug or anything coming up or do you just want to uh, drop your socials again? So people know where to find you. Yeah, sure. Um, I have something in the works that I'm going to be posting on social media in the next couple of weeks um, that you guys should look out for, but I can't talk about it yet. Um, mm-hmm. That makes it sound like very influencer-y, but I <laughs> it, it don't, it's not that. It's just like the details are being worked out, but I'm really excited to be working on this project that my friend created. So you can follow me on Instagram at Vika Stubbs. That's V-I-K-A-S-T-U-B-B-S. Um, and that's kind of my most active social platforms. Vika will be back, everyone. Vika has a, a vast knowledge of TV and TV romance. And so I can't wait to have you back again to discuss more couples. I can't wait to be back. This is so fun. So thank you. I had so much fun doing it with you. You're so wise and grounded <laughs> and knowledgeable. And I'm I'm very lucky. Oh my God. I I love that. I don't feel wise at all. So I'm gonna ride with that today. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Love you too. Bye. Bye. All right, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to our very special little mini season to wrap up 2020. What a year. The next two Thursdays are Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, so we will not be releasing episodes, but we will be back in 2021 for a year that, you know, helpfully brings us all joy and healthy relationships and vaccination. Um, in the meantime, you can follow Talking Ship Podcast on Instagram at Talking Ship Podcast. And you know, if you're feeling a, a lack of content in these next two weeks, you can go back and listen to our holiday episode about Love Actually, if you want to stay in the holiday spirit, or go back and binge our earlier seasons. Uh, this year in 2020, since April, when I launched the podcast, we've color- covered Luke and Lorelai from Gilmore Girls, David and Patrick from Shit's Lisa and Lawrence from Insecure, Seth and Summer from The OC, Jim and Pam from The Office, and of course, Marianne and Connell from Normal People. So, you know, go back, re-binge, let us know what you think. And if you've enjoyed this show at all (laughs) this year, it really helps to subscribe to the show and leave a little comment because... You know, I'm a, I'm a goal setting kind of person. So in 2021, there's a lot of things I'd love to do with the show and it really helps to have uh, lots of subscriptions and reviews so that I can tell people how great my audience is and how they should invest their money and time into the podcast. But until 2021 with our new couple, our new season, I hope you have a very happy holiday season. I hope you have a great new year. I hope someone puts their arm around you just like Connell does for Marianne and kisses you in a crowded pub. Actually, just kidding. Don't do that because that's not safe for Corona. But I hope that you do feel love on New Year's Eve and through this whole holiday season. And I will see you back in 2021. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.